Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of our podcast. A lot has happened, Wendy, since we last sat in these seats to report report a cod pass. Report a cod pass. That's what we're doing now. <laughs> That's what we do here. We report. We re, what do we do? We report cod pasts. Didn't, didn't in one of our original promotions, didn't you mix up those syllables? Yeah, I said cod pasts. Cod pass. Went Christopher and... I don't remember what I said. Anyway, here we are. Here we are. <laughs> Christmas has happened. The new year has happened. I have taught a TOB in the new evangelization course, which was marvelous. And we're, we're late to the game to be talking about it just because of the sequence in which we record these cod pests. But uh, <laughs> beloved Pope Benedict XVI has gone to his eternal reward yeah it hits a tender place in my heart i was first introduced to i mean i knew of cardinal ratzinger uh, when i was coming back to my faith in the early 90s but i didn't really study him until i went to the john paul ii institute in 1995 and the professor who had become a mentor and friend for another 20 years until he died uh, Monsignor Lorenzo Albacetti, he taught an entire course on Ratzinger's book called Introduction to Christianity. Mm. That was my first deep dive into the the writings and the mind and the heart of, of Joseph Ratzinger, who became Pope Benedict XVI. And he and JP II, just as they were like a partnership in John Paul's pontificate, they became like the one-two punch in my theological journey. I don't know if that's the right metaphor, one-two punch, <laughs> but whatever. People know what I mean. Um, they became well. They were heavy hitters. Like the, they were the heavyweights. Yeah, I'm going to go with that metaphor. They were the heavy, the theological heavyweights in my own formation, and I have continued to draw over and over and over again from from Cardinal Ratzinger and then Pope Benedict XVI. Never forget when he became Pope in 2005 and mm. his first encyclical, Deus Caritas Est, when that came out, I was actually working on one book at the time and Deus Caritas Est came out and it was this magnificent continuation of the theology of the body, uh, Benedict in his own language unfolding and even crowning John Paul's theology of the body with these marvelous reflections on eros and agape and i scrapped the manuscript that i was working on at the time and i said i gotta write a book about this and i wrote my book the love that satisfies reflections on eros and agape and um yeah and then of course i mean we've been hearing about it in the news so often since his death about the strangeness of his uh, retiring from being pope and the sadness of that but I, I think of him now with JP2 and all the communion of saints on the other side participating in the external, in the external, in the eternal bliss of the Trinitarian <laughs> exchange that he so beautifully wrote about. And it, I'm sad for us here on earth, but I'm so happy for him. Mm. I think of the burden that he carried as Pope Emeritus, you know, for 10 years. It's come out now since his death that 
he he actually thought he was going to die pretty soon after he yeah. retired, and he lived longer as Pope Emeritus than he did as Pope. Yeah. Um, what a strange situation. But I just I had the sense that for all those years, he was carrying such a burden in his heart for the church, and I'm sure now on the other side, he's he's even praying for us all the more. We love you, Pope Benedict. I remember. You were reading um, a book on the liturgy by, or maybe it was Spirit a of the Liturgy collection of writings, or, no. or was actual. No, it's book. an actual book. He wrote Spirit of the Liturgy, wrote. but I have right behind your head there, Wendy. Uh-huh. See that big volume right up there? That's a collection. That that yeah, right there. That's a collection of writings of Ratzinger on the liturgy. Okay. So maybe that's what you're. I am not sure which it was, but it had to do with he was writing on the liturgy, and I, I think you shared with me a quote of his saying, um, music is the language of lovers. Yes. Do you remember that line? Yes, I do. That's from that collection. And it really impacted me. It's interesting how certain ways of expressing something can just go deep in a person's heart. And I think it was a real help to my relationship, my spousal relationship with Jesus, just to take those words to my Mm. heart. So Mm, I'm very, very grateful for that. That blesses me to hear that that blessed you. Mm-hmm. I don't even. I, did you tell me it blessed you at the time? It doesn't matter. It doesn't blesses matter. me now that you're telling me now. <laughs> so, do you want to update us on anything with the Tubi Institute? Yes, I want to invite everyone to check out the link below for all of the classes that are coming up at the Tubi Institute. We did a new thing this year. We are publishing, if that's the right word, or promulgating maybe is the right I don't know what the right word is but we are we are listing our full schedule of classes for the entire 2023 at the start of the year we've never done that before we kind of in the past we've just put out what's coming in the next few months but we have the whole schedule of classes for all of 2023 posted now you can even register uh, as much as a year in advance for these courses uh, they do fill up pretty quickly I'm just going to point out to point to some highlights. We have um, the Marian Mystery Course, which is my favorite course to teach, the third week of June at Black Rock Retreat Center. We have a TOB one. We have two opportunities live. We also have all of our online courses listed there as well. But I'm just talking right now about the live ones. Uh, we have a TOB one in person. We're taking it on the road, which we do every couple years. We're taking it on the road. We're going to Milwaukee. Uh, that is uh, during the month of May. I think it's the third or fourth week of May. We'll be doing a TOB1 in Milwaukee. We have the Marian Mystery, as I said, at the end of June. In mid-July, we have another TOB1 at Black Rock Retreat in Pennsylvania. Um, we have a Theology of the Body and Spiritual Direction course at the beginning of August, end of July, beginning of August, taught by Father Boniface Hicks, a dear friend of the TOB Institute and personal friend of mine. And then another highlight in November, for the very first time, Bill Dunahy is going to be teaching a course on C.S. Lewis and and Tolkien, mm-hmm. uh, taking their sacramental imagination and their friendship and cracking it open in light of John Paul II's teaching from his letter to artists. So that one is definitely going to be a, a sellout. Uh, if you if you want to register for that one, I know it's not till November, but if you want a spot, register now. Mm. It's happening. It's a very exciting. That is exciting to have that 
whole perspective on the year. So I'm, I'm interested to see how those courses then fill up as a result. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, we, the p feedback we've been getting from everybody is thank you so much. It's just enabling me to plan my year and schedule it out in advance. So it's a win-win for everybody. Very good. Are you ready for a question yes, from a, do it. a patron? This question is from Alejandro. Hello, Alejandro. Dear Christopher and Wendy, greetings from Texas. I've been a faithful listener for some years now and have been greatly blessed by what you two have shared, so much so that I've finally worked up the courage to become a patron. Oh, thank you, Alejandro. We, we are so grateful to you. We cannot do this work without people like you who respond to that little nudge and become patrons. And I know there are people right now who are getting that little, little nudge. <laughs> so check out the link below in your description, or what do we call it? The show notes of a podcast. Check out the link there and learn more about becoming a patron. Can't do it without you. Listen to what he says next. Okay. I know that at this moment, Christopher might be thanking me more than <laughs> once. <laughs> He's reading my mind. <laughs> For my patronage. While you, Wendy, read out this sentence with your hug-like voice. Oh, but... my go Way to go, Alejandro. <laughs> In all honesty, the real thanks goes out to you both for this amazing podcast. I'm very fond of your love story, especially the part where Christopher asked God to hit him twice over the head with a ton of bricks in order to confirm the vocational calling to marriage. I've been pondering over this lately and have been asking God for the same confirmation. My girlfriend and I have been dating for a little over a year now, and we both believe that it is God's will that we marry. Mm, beautiful. Part of the reason I've yet to propose is that I've yet to receive those two tons of bricks. I also often reflect on my wounds, and I feel that maybe I'm not ready to marry out of fear that I will cause harm by those wounds surfacing in marriage. So my question is this, is it fundamental that a couple receives those two tons of bricks, or is it enough that we desire marriage and believe that this calling is coming from God? Alejandro, I'm going to give you a ton of bricks right now. So <laughs> take this as your first ton of bricks. And then maybe Wendy will give you another ton, and then you'll have your two. It sounds to me, brother, like you love this woman, she loves you, and you are, you are discerning this in, in a prayerful spirit. And if you believe this woman is meant to be your wife, go for it. Go for it, brother. Go for it without hesitation and without fear. Will your marriage... Uh, expose your wounds? Yep. And guess what? That's what it's meant to do. Uh, there is, yes, there's wisdom in saying, okay, if we, if we are well aware that there are some major issues uh, that we could look at in advance, it certainly doesn't hurt to look at it in advance, in advance. But let me also say this. Marriage is a sacrament, and that means sanctifying grace is given the husband and the wife through their sacrament. And part of that sanctifying grace is the healing of our wounds. It's poured out for our healing. So there is an advantage. We all have wounds. There's nobody, if, if we have a picture that, well, I'm going to deal with all my wounds before I get married so that when I get married, I won't have any more wounds to deal with and we can just have a, a blissful marital relationship. That is not real. That doesn't exist. That's a utopia. That is a false vision. That is an illusion. 
so so don't don't even imagine that that is even possible. There are things, there are wounds that come out. There are issues that come out of our hearts only in and through the daily rub, if you will, of sleeping in the same bed and sharing a home and raising children and dealing with all of the day-to-day realities that come from being a husband and wife. And when a marriage is bringing our wounds to the surface, it doesn't mean something's going wrong. It means something's going right. And you can trust in the grace of the sacrament to see you through those and to get you through those. And, And I would almost say, for a lot of these wounds, we need the grace of the sacrament to enable the healing. There is no doubt. Wendy, I look back at our 27 years of married life, and I, I just see, I see joys, I see trials, I see everything that we committed to, the good times, the bad, the sickness, the health, richer and poorer, and, and I, I can see grace as the, the guiding thread through it all, a healing, sanctifying grace that has guided us. Uh, so, Alejandro, it sounds to me, and take it as your first ton of bricks, it sounds to me like you are discerning this correctly and prayerfully, that you really love this woman, and there's just that understandable, normal human nervousness about whether you're supposed to take that leap, and I say, leap. (laughs) I feel very honored by Alejandro and all the things he included in his question, and I'm just rereading and seeing a beautiful um, couple words in the final sentence. He says, I'll just repeat his final sentence. Is it enough that we desire marriage and believe that this calling is coming from God. And I just, I feel, first of all, I just want to say yes, which is what Christopher has also said. And our story with the two tons of bricks is is a true story, but we enjoy telling it because we enjoy storytelling. And it, it is not, truly not to say that we could not have discerned marriage without right. those experiences. Right, I certainly agree with that. Um, so... I also, I love that you included not just that we feel a calling from God, but we desire marriage. Yeah, it's beautiful. It, it just speaks of a, a recognition that God is at work in your human hearts and in your human desires, um, and that you have a sense of your purpose in life coming from the one who made you. And you are so far ahead of so many people just by those simple understandings. And I, I really see them as the great treasures that, um, that are in your heart to be shared with one another and with others. That the one who made you has a beautiful purpose for your life and that he's put these good desires in you that you would recognize his call his particular call in your life through that. So I, I just want to affirm that. It's very beautiful. Uh, and I want to affirm, Wendy, all that you just said in your in your beautiful feminine way. And maybe that's not a ton of bricks. Maybe that's a ton of feathers, <laughs> <laughs> which is still a ton, right? What's heavier, Same a ton weight. of bricks or a ton of feathers? That's true. Remember that old <laughs> stupid joke? Alejandro, I'll, I'll say this just to maybe ease your 
your mind about the need for two tons of bricks. Wendy and I had an out of the ordinary courtship. We we dated for six weeks or something um, before it was. It seemed clear that we were called to marriage, and there was no reason to wait. And that seemed very unusual, very out of the ordinary. And that was why we both said we need some real clear confirmation that we're not crazy here in in proposing i think i proposed like 7 weeks after our first date mm-hmm. so that that is extraordinary that is not ordinary it sounds to me like you are on the normal and beautiful path of discerning marriage and you have discerned it and you're called to it that's what it sounds like to me so there's no need for extraordinary signs that you're not crazy. You have all the ordinary confirmations that you are following God's will for your life. Mm. Yes. Our next question is from a listener named Sonia. Hello, Sonia. You once mentioned that some fathers of the church think that Mary probably did not feel labor pains because she was received as the Immaculate. But Christ did feel pain in his passion, although he never sinned. It's hard for me to believe that Mary was able to deliver without pain while her son consummated his marriage with us on the cross with pain. What do you think about this? Yeah, it's a great question. What, what, there was a word there that I, I, I didn't quite hear, Wendy, that, uh, about Mary. Oh, she says... Uh, conceived? Or uh, she was received as the immaculate. I'm not actually sure what that phrase meant. I think she meant. probably meant conceived. Maybe. Con- immaculate conception. Mm. Yeah. So, Sonia, here's, here's where I would invite your reflection. I would invite you right where you're already going, to the foot of the cross, and to be with Mary at the foot of the cross, where Mary is indeed experiencing the most intense labor pains imaginable. Uh, the, the, the teaching of the fathers of the church, which is, as far as I know, this is really the official teaching of the church. It's, it's not like you will find it in the catechism, but it is, it, it is, it is the widely held theological uh, stance that because Mary is the new Eve and was without sin, that she did not experience the the punishment for sin, which was what woman has carried from from the dawn of sin, this increase in labor pains, that Mary did not experience that in giving birth to Christ. It is fitting. It is appropriate. It is it makes theological sense. It's good theological math that she didn't experience labor pains in giving birth to Jesus. But you are also doing good theological math when you say, but how does that jive with the fact that her son had to redeem us with such pain? How was Mary exempt? Ah, she wasn't. She wasn't, because at the foot of the cross, the prophecy from Simeon, a sword will pierce your heart also, is being fulfilled. And this is, again, is the theological consensus uh, of the church 
It's the theological mind of the church. It's good theological math, if you will, that Mary is giving birth not to the head, which is Christ, but to the body, which is the church, at the foot of the cross. And there are indeed wailing labor pains. This is where the, the image from the book of Revelation about the woman pregnant who wailed aloud in the spiritual battle. The dragon wants to devour the child. There's this great spiritual warfare surrounding the birth of this child. In giving birth to the head, this is the theological math of the church, she did not experience labor pains, but in giving birth to the body, that's all of us, she did. And that is why Christ himself compares what's about to happen at the Last Supper. He compares what's about to happen through the Passion, through the Passover, through the cross. He compares it to what happens to a woman in labor pains, where the sorrow comes, the suffering comes, the wailing aloud in labor pains. But when the child is born, she forgets the suffering, and she rejoices in the joy that a child has been born. Mary is going through those labor pains intensely, and in union with Christ at the foot of the cross. So I think if you, if you hold those two truths together about the head and the body, uh, you will find peace with, with both of those theological equations, if you will. Sonia, I can really relate to your questions. I, I kind of feel them in the same way, and I, when Christopher uses words like it's fitting, I feel like Okay, but maybe maybe that isn't true. I, I feel like this desire to hold on to the possibility that her labor was not all that different from any other woman's, you know, there are a variety of labors, but I'm just saying that it was included the in, some intensity and effort and discomfort. Those are things that I imagine or I sort of want to hold on to for Mary. But I think in, in taking um, Christopher's course on Mary that he mentioned earlier, um, which I did take, I, I realized that there are many um, reflections on the miraculous nature of Mary as the virgin mother that are kind of, outside the scope of where my mind usually goes. And it's sort of in a mystical realm that I, I see that there's a great reverence for her uniqueness as the Virgin Mother and the incredible uniqueness of her conceiving of Jesus and bringing him forth in his birth that goes beyond all the areas that I'm used to thinking about, but others have reflected deeply over the many centuries of the church on these things. And so I have a certain surrender of my will, so to speak, to say, okay, these are mysteries probably definitely beyond me. And I, I look forward to whatever Mary wants to share with me about them when I'm with her in heaven and trust, you know, that this is not in any way um, just a sign of Mary not being able to be my mother in in terms of just experiencing all the things that I experience as a woman, that it doesn't distance her from me. So I think that's maybe the, the key thing that I'm able to hold and treasure. Wendy, my heart is warm just hearing you reflect on that 
because it, it shows, I, I think you said it just, just right, that it's okay to have these questions. Like, why does the church teach that? And, and I remember having the very same questions about the birth of Christ and really wrestling with it myself. And I, I, I eventually got to that same place that you're talking about, the reverence for the mystery. And there's a quote I have in my Mary study guide when we go through the, the birth of Christ in the Mary course. And I don't remember what saint said it, so forgive me there, but I do remember the gist of the quote. And it's, it's, it's this, inasmuch as Christ was human and conceived of Mary, the birth was a natural reality. But inasmuch as the conception came from the Holy Spirit and was miraculous, so too did the birth share in that miraculous and divine reality. And so it's, as with Catholic doctrine as a whole, it's this mysterious both and, right? It was natural in as much as it was human, and it was supernatural in as much as it was divine, hmm. and it was both. And so there's that mystery of holding those two together. And I relate a lot, and I imagine this is where Sonia's coming from too, like, I relate to what you said, Wendy, about there's a, there's a, there's a, and there has been in some certain forms of Marian piety and devotion where we dehumanize her, and that creates a distance that is not correct, um, and that, that, to safeguard that is essential, um, that Mary is really human, and so the, her birth was, a, was really human, but it was also miraculous, both at the same time, if we can, it drives our brains crazy, we can't, <laughs> holding those things together, but that's where the truth lies, in holding what seems like contradictions together. We got to hold them together. Mm -hmm. Our next question is from a listener named Anna Lee. Hello, Anna Lee. My husband and I have been celibate for 18 years of our 38-year marriage. The first 15 of those years, I had no idea why we were celibate. In the last three years, I've come to realize that this is a medical issue that cannot be rectified. As you can imagine, this has left me feeling unloved, confused, and frustrated. Quite honestly, I'm at a loss with my feelings and just need some direction as to where to go with all of this. My husband, who loves me very much, just has none of the romantic feelings that were there before the medical issues affected our physical relationship. I, on the other hand, still have all of the needs and desires that were there 18 years ago. I haven't spoken to anyone about this. Bless you, Annalise. I've been alone in this for oh, 18 years. Oh, mercy. I have been offering this up for troubled marriages oh. and for those with the same difficulties. Other than this, we have a strong, loving, devoted marriage and a loving family. So I feel silly feeling resentful about living like this for 18 years. Any thoughts or suggestions of how to live in this with joy and love would be appreciated. And if you had a magic pill that could dampen my desires, that would be a lovely thing. Oh, 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 Anna Lee. Wow. I, my heart is burning, Anna Lee, uh, mm -hmm. in hearing 
you describe what you've been through, and it's it's burning with hope on the one hand, it's burning with pain on the other, it's burning with a sense of the sorrow you have carried silently. I mm. feel so honored that you have voiced this to us. I feel like you have given us a, a pearl from your story, from your heart that you've not shared with others, and that that is also part of the burning in my heart, just a sense of reverence and awe that's burning. Um, mm. I'm so moved by your your ready willingness to offer what you have suffered, which is deep and profound and and so painful, especially having suffered it silently, uh, that you have this ready willingness to offer what you have suffered for 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 troubled marriages and especially those who may be facing similar realities. I I don't know the physiological problems. You haven't described them to us, but I will just assume that they are 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 somewhat definitive. That there's no remedy. Um, maybe there is. I don't know if you've how much you've explored that. I mean, I I want to hold out. Uh, in case you haven't explored it, I can't imagine that you haven't, but if you haven't, um, do you know about the the institute at Creighton University? Do you know about, um, what's it called, Lover? The, Paul VI. The, the Paul VI Institute and, and the teachers and doctors that they train. Uh, that might be somewhere to look. Um, the Paul VI Institute for the Study of Human Reproduction and their NAPRO technology doctors. Now they... They specialize in a particular way with infertility, but I'm sure they would have resources uh, that could help with with physical ailments that prevent intercourse uh, in a way that would be in keeping with church teaching. Anyway, hold that out. Maybe it's not a possibility. But what I would like to reflect on is the last line. Could you reread that last line, Wendy, about the pill? Mm -hmm. If you had a magic pill that could dampen my desires, that would be a lovely thing. My dear sister Annalie, I, I want to propose another approach. I understand the desire for the magic pill that would dampen your desires, but it's not the right direction to move in. May I invite you with great reverence for your sorrows, for your sufferings, for the frustrations that they have involved, that physical yearning that's not able to be fulfilled, uh, in your marriage, may I invite you to another path where the solution is not the dampening of your desires or a wish that they would be taken away, but a discovery that those very desires, physical as they may be, registering in your very body as they do, that those desires themselves can be and we are invited on this path by Christ himself, those desires can be and should be the fuel, the atomic energy, if you will, of a deep, profound, mystical, nuptial union with your true bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Jesus himself says, Gird your loins, 
and and light your lamps and be ready to open immediately to the bridegroom when he comes. In another passage, Jesus says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? I'm reminded that just last week, when I was teaching the Theology of the Body in the New Evangelization course, which really culminates at the end of the week, we, we go through the Catechism of the Catholic Church wearing our TOB glasses, and it's so thrilling for me as a teacher to see the whole of the faith coming alive through these lenses that John Paul has given us. But it's especially thrilling when we get to the fourth pillar of the Catechism on prayer. And what we were unfolding throughout the week, and it was really fun for me to see the students coming to understand this. I'm going to say it. It might sound unusual at first, but I will try to unpack it. It took me like 30 hours to unpack it for the students last week, but... <laughs> I'll try to do it in a brief way here. Chaste eros, E-R-O-S, right? Erotic longing, longing for union. Rightly directed erotic longing. That's what I'm calling chaste eros. Chaste eros and faith and prayer, properly understood, are all the same thing. What? Okay, it's, a, it's an invitation to a journey of integrating the physical and the spiritual, the sexual and the sacred. This is the path that the incarnation of the Son of God, who took on flesh to redeem our flesh, invites us on. This is why his first miracle is at a wedding. This is why he calls himself the bridegroom. This is why heaven is described as the marriage of the Lamb. This is why Christ calls some to remain celibate for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Now, you did not choose celibacy for the kingdom voluntarily, but your circumstances have become an invitation to celibacy for the kingdom within the vocation of marriage. And this reminds me, understandably, of the vocation of Joseph and Mary. And we mustn't think of the vocation of Joseph and Mary, the marriage of Joseph and Mary, as if they had some magical pill that, that uh, dulled or, or eradicated their erotic desires. Rather, it was the power of holiness through which they discovered, just what I'm saying, chaste eros and faith, and prayer are one and the same thing. Why? How? What am I getting at? Here's how John Paul II defines faith. He says, faith in its deepest essence is the openness of the human heart to the gift of God. Faith in its deepest essence mm. is the openness of the human heart to the gift of of God. What is the gift of God? The gift of God, the consummate gift of God, is Christ the bridegroom saying to his bride, this is my body given up for you. John Paul II describes the Eucharist as the sacrament of the bridegroom and of the bride. What do we say? We say 
uh, we call it the mystery of faith. Let us proclaim the mystery of faith. The mystery of our faith is precisely that we, mere mortals, mere creatures, are destined to participate in the eternal ecstasy and bliss of the Trinitarian exchange. How? Because the second person of the Trinity took flesh to wed his flesh to our flesh. This is why Christ is the bridegroom, the church is the bride, and the Eucharist is the consummation of the marriage. Faith in its deepest essence is the openness of the human heart to God's gift, to that, the consummation of that marriage. The Eucharist is where we can bring all of our hungers. Think of the woman at the well. Mm. The woman comes to the well with thirst. That's why we go to wells. And the whole exchange between Jesus and the Samaritan woman is an invitation to nuptials, to, to a, a, a mystical kind of marriage. Jacob's well in the Old Testament was the site of some very important marriage proposals. Here's this strange man and here's this Samaritan woman. She comes with all this thirst and she had been with six men, right? She had been married five times and she's with now a man, number six, she's not married to. This is emblematic of her misdirected eros, right? Now, I'm not saying that your eros is misdirected, Annalie, although every human being's eros is misdirected to one degree or another. It's just part of our, our broken humanity. But I'm drawing an analogy that what Jesus was teaching this woman, Jesus wants to teach you as well. He wants to teach all of us to bring our thirst to him right? Six is the imperfect biblical number. She had been with six lovers. Seven is the perfect biblical number. Jesus was her seventh lover. Jesus was her true bridegroom. And every human being must rediscover that all the ways we aim our yearning, our passion, our longing, our desires, which register in our very bodies as men and women, it's in erotic passion, that eros, that yearning, that passion is ultimately for God. And the journey of the Christian life is precisely one of redirecting eros from finite realities to the infinite gift of God. And that is also the journey of prayer. Prayer, Pope Benedict XVI teaches us, is nothing other than becoming a longing for God. And he's drawing this out of the fathers of the church. The, the quote he, he says is, the fathers of the church tell us that prayer, properly understood, is nothing other than becoming a longing for God. And here's the connections of the dots, the connection of these dots. What is chaste eros? Chaste eros is learning how to aim our erotic longing, our lo what is the erotic longing? It's the longing for love, for union, for fulfillment, for happiness, for intimacy, for affirmation, for, for, for joy. Learning how to aim that passion, properly called eros, towards its infinite satisfaction. Eros is, in its very essence, that longing for God. What is faith? It is the openness of that hunger and thirst in our human hearts 
called eros to the gift of God. What is prayer? Prayer, the fathers of the church tell us, is nothing other than becoming a longing for God. The pill you want, my dear sister, the magic pill that you want is not the dulling or the eradicating of your longing. The pill you want is the redemption of your longing, the redirection of your longing, the living out of your longing in a deep, intimate life of prayer and faith in a nuptial relationship with Jesus himself. And I'll I'll close my reflections with this quote from John Paul II, and then I'll I'll hand it off to you, Wendy, and whatever you might want to share. But this was one of the key quotes in the study guide in last week's course as well. This is John, from John Paul II's document on the new millennium, which was his pastoral plan for the next thousand years of the church. And he says, we have a duty to show the world the depths to which our relationship with Christ is meant to lead. It is meant to lead through Yes, he says, through many painful purifications, and this will demand an intense commitment on our part, but it is a work of grace, and it is a work of grace that through these trials, through these purifications, leads us to the ineffable joy of what the mystics call nuptial union with the Lord. It can be so hard for us to imagine that those erotic longings are meant to lead us to Jesus because in our fractured world, we so often have sacred things on one side of of a pendulum and erotic things on the other side of a pendulum. And in this fractured world, it's understandable that we do that because our erotic desires have become twisted and distorted and lustful. But this is what happens at the wedding feast of Cana. The the restoration of the wine at Cana is the symbol that divine love has come once again. That's the symbol of the wine. It's the symbol of agape, divine love, is once again meant to infuse erotic love, erotic desire. Eros has run out of wine with the original sin, but that new wine has come. The wine has been restored, and the new wine is even better than the old. The journey, my dear sister, is one of opening that yearning for union with your husband, opening it to Christ, your true bridegroom. Talk to him about it. Talk to him about your frustrations. Talk to him about the very physical yearnings you experience. Surrender them to the Lord. Share with him your your sadness that you're not able to unite with your husband. Open that up. When you pray, Jesus says, Go into your inner room and lock the door. That's the bridal chamber where we can get naked before the Lord. And and by nakedness, I don't mean taking your clothes off. I mean exposing what is really going on in your heart just as you experience it, without censoring it, without um, dumbing it down, but saying it like it is, presenting your heart as it truly is to Christ your bridegroom and he will woo you, and you will see how the sign of your marriage, your union with your husband, which is no longer possible, how that has been a sign leading you on a journey to a reality that is possible, even here and now, through prayer, through the sacraments, and will be fulfilled in the marriage of the Lamb. 
I, I mean, I could go on and on and on, and I shouldn't for the sake of time, but uh, gosh, you're on my heart. You're mm -hmm. on my heart, and my heart mm -hmm. is still burning for you. Yeah, I I think that the um, Holy Spirit was really guiding you, Christopher, and um, giving Anna Lee and other listeners real powerful examples, especially you're sharing different gospel stories where you're helping us to see the humanity of the people in the gospels and Jesus' ability to meet them in those places of pain and bring something beautiful that wouldn't be possible without that encounter. And I think the the sense of that, those gospel stories of of the people encountering Christ and placing ourselves in that situation in our prayer and our prayerful imagination. It is such a powerful um, aspect of the healing that the Lord desires for us. And I, I just feel like you're a part of your underlying message here is that the Lord does desire healing, that some of the things that Annalie has described are, are wounding things. Yeah. And, and that isn't to say that it was intentional on her husband's part, but there was maybe there an, a certain ignorance on, on his part as to uh, the depth of Annalise's heart and, and maybe assumptions about her that prevented him from really talking through what was going on um, in him physically and therefore in their relationship and just kind of, there's a certain like confusion and almost abandonment that I sense in that experience um, for Anna Lee. And I just want to say that there's, there's nothing to be ashamed of about having those painful feelings. I think I sensed a little bit in the question, a certain need or desire to acknowledge the goodness in the marriage, but, but it also kind of implied like, um, there's, I feel almost bad that I have pain about this situation because look at all the good in my life. And I, yes. I just want to say there's no shame in experiencing what you've experienced as wounding to your heart. And, and the examples Christopher gave are ways to encounter Christ, to experience healing for the wounds and his love and just freedom in, in understanding much more deeply what you are called to as a bride in relation to both your husband and to Christ. So all of that is very powerful. And I also think it could be helpful, as you said, that you haven't talked with anyone about these things to consider looking for a spiritual director or a counselor, at least to put that intention before the Lord, if he would allow that and make that possible. Because I see, as you said at the beginning, you were kind of groaning with a certain hopefulness. There is a great hope that that just beginning to open this up, that, that there's a lot of depth and capacity for receiving grace in this situation that not only does it benefit Anna Lee, but it benefits others because the, whenever we're healed and transformed, it, it flows out of us in our lives. Anna Lee, I'm going to recommend my book, Heaven's Song, to you. It's a reflection on the Song of Songs uh, with the help of John Paul II. And I, 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 I just want to underscore saint after saint after saint 
has found in the erotic poetry of the Song of Songs the mystical key that opens the bridal chamber of union with the Lord. These are, these are real. The, the mystical reality of nuptial union is more real than the physical reality of the union of a husband and wife. Because the union of the husband and wife is the sign that points to the reality. Uh, again, you you're, you found yourself by circumstance, not by choice, but by circumstance in, a, in a, an invitation to live out a celibacy for the kingdom. And the Song of Songs is like the roadmap of, of living that out. So I, I invite you to consider that. You can look in the sh show notes for a link to that. And, and look in the show notes also for a link to the therapists and counselors that we recommend at the Institute. I, I, I want to underscore and, and agree and emphasize what Wendy was saying, that counseling, uh, journeying with a therapist could be very, very important for you to, to walk through what you have been through with someone so that you're not alone in that journey. But I would, I would make sure that it's a good Catholic therapist, because if somebody were, who didn't understand Catholic teaching were to misguide you, it could just make it all the more frustrating and painful. So we will, Annalie, we will be lifting you up in prayer. And maybe, Wendy, could you, could you offer a prayer for Annalie as we, as we wrap this episode up? Yes, I invite all our listeners to join me in praying for this couple. Um, Lord, we lift up to you Anna Lee and her husband and their family and ask for a great outpouring of grace. And I, I ask for a release of, of tears that may mm. be stored up, Lord, holy tears, mm. to let them, let them flow and yes, um, be flowing right into your heart, Lord. And that um, that there would be beautiful provisions for this marriage for each one of them to grow closer to you and to one another, to sense your purpose in their lives and your closeness to them in every moment of their story, all throughout their past, your presence to them now, and your plan for their future, that they would journey ever more closely with you and experience the redemption of their bodies that you have come to bring, Lord, we pray. Amen. Oh, Lord, there are such sorrows in this world, but you have promised to transform every single one of them into rejoicing. Thank you for that promise. And thank you, listeners, for being part of this podcast. We're so grateful to you. If you've been blessed by today's episode, please share it with someone else who will also be blessed, we pray. Until next time, keep the questions coming, and may you know it deep in your heart, deep in your bones. You are a gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.